Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 22. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 22. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. And we're here to talk about another chapter of Not a Fan. Today finds us in chapter 9, titled, Come After Me, A Passionate Pursuit. And I'm feeling pretty passionately (laughs) confused and disturbed by this chapter. (laughs) That's very polite. (laughs) We've tried to take the high road and not make this podcast uh, really so much about this book. And ultimately, we don't want our podcast to be about this book. We want it to be about the themes that we find out that we find in this book and other themes in Christianity and... uh, really, I don't know, seeking after and talking about the truth and making better sense of things so that other people can get it too. Uh, One of those people being me. Um, So I don't know. I just found this chapter not very, I just found it confusing. I didn't find it compelling whatsoever. I found a lot of shooting and, um, you know what happens when you should all over yourself. Uh, <laughs> it gets a little um, messy. Yeah, it does. And this chapter did. So I, I'm i not quite sure how to go about this chapter. I think I'd found a number of things in this chapter that, that were just, they were just way too familiar. They were just... Um, Tell me what you mean by that. Uh, very unhelpful. Very unhelpful mm-hmm. things like uh, one section will we'll probably get to eventually, which is, um, you know, the, the notion that if you're a follower that you should be like some kind of complete freak and have done like some completely crazy thing because Mm -hmm. that's what people that are passionately following Jesus do. They are crazy. Mm -hmm. so, So I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I think I heard this in Christian university, this whole notion about, you know, being crazy after God and doing crazy things for Christ and being this this complete freak and that being the way it should be yeah the way it should be or just to be expected you know because the mm-hmm. Bible says that the world is going to hate us and and nobody's going to get us and we're not going to be understood but that's okay because we're being freaks for God and I, yes. it, some anyway we're helping them out with that. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Making it easy for them to hate us, think of food, not understand us. Yeah, it's like a, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So I kind of outlined the chapter a little bit the way I did mm-hmm. a time or two ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's helpful to just kind of walk the chapter. I don't know if you had any initial feelings or impressions. Do you want to start there? Um... I mean, yeah, we want to, the goal, and I think you've done a better job at this than I have sometimes, is to give this book a fair shake. But I must admit that if there's any chapter that I would really, that I'm, I'm just not sure how to give, give a, you know, sometimes I guess giving a fair shake really means 
saying some things that just aren't too complimentary. And that's where I'm at with this chapter. That's the fairest shake I can give it. So however we want to approach that. Let's start with this notion of... Rem- so the chapter starts off with the whole boy likes girl, you know, that transition when, you know, little kids, you know, are repelled by the mm-hmm. opposite sex and then they come to this place where they're actually very attracted. And so um, mm-hmm. he kind of starts with this notion of romantic love. And then I, this was a tw- turn I never saw coming. He ties that notion of romantic love in with Luke nine twenty three, mm-hmm. which is the passage that we talked about last time, which was about um, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Mm-hmm. Now, and then later in the chapter, he refers to this again as this is God's notion of romantic love, and I. Hmm. I think I might have lost you, John, for just a moment. Okay. Sorry, you you had asked a question. I just didn't quite catch it. Okay. Let me back up. Okay. So, he's talking about this notion of romantic attraction. Then he talks. Then he ties it into Luke. So, on page one thirty, he ties it into Luke nine twenty three. Mm-hmm. Jesus defines the relationship he wants to have with us. He makes it clear what it means to be a follower. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Mm-hmm. And then he says, the phrase I want to draw your attention to is come after. It's a mm-hmm. phrase that was commonly used in the context of a romantic relationship. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've um, never heard that before. I haven't either. Uh, a romantic, no, like, you're you're attracted to someone and you want to follow them. You want to be with them. You want to spend time with them. You pursue them. Um, so it's, this is twisted to me to say that this is like the parallel here's were romantic when Jesus says, come after me. I, I've never heard. I mean, I haven't looked into that specific use, but, but it, it seems a bit strange to me, but I mean, th- and I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the, the idea of romantic, you know, this being sort of a romantic, uh, a passionate thing. But, but the, the, the problem for me, again, is that we're completely backwards here. It's not about me going after God. It's about God going after me. You know, why, why am I going after God in the first place? What, 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 what's that about? And that hasn't been established at all, as we've discussed previously. But that's what's so, that, I think that's what really frustrated me in this chapter. And I would say of all the chapters, this one really cooked me. Because mm-hmm. the whole mm-hmm. chapter is about how we're pursuing God and, and how we should pursue him. And, you know, we should be crazy and all this. And then at the, on like at the very last part of the book, on, well, not last part of the. And sorry, in the last part of the chapter one thirty seven, the craziest come after story of all is when God put on flesh and came to this earth and died in our place. He took the initiative and pursued you. When we realize the extravagance of His love, it begins to change our hearts. We love Him because He first loved us. Huh? Like, how did we get there? Like this whole book is about try harder, do this. You've got to be committed enough and make sure you're committed the right way or you'll end up, you know, with the people that thought they were going to heaven that didn't. And it's do, do, do and make sure you're doing it the right way. And and then we have this little sentence, a couple sentences here about how God took the initiative and pursued us. 
And then if we realized the extravagance of his love, it would change our hearts. There's We're on page 137, and there's not been a single sentence explaining why, how much God loves me. Like, I have not gotten that message anywhere in this book, and I've been looking for it. Amen, brother. And then to follow by saying <laughs> we love him because he first loved us, I don't know is is that sounds like a passage of scripture. It also sounds like something I've heard my entire life, this whole notion that Jesus did this, the most amazing, most unthinkable thing in the world and that he gave his life for us. And the least we could do is follow him because of what he did for us, which again, maybe there's something to that, but something about that just smells rotten to me. So yeah, I'm already jumping all over the place, but I My overall summary of this chapter, I guess, is just it's more shoulds, it's more commands, it's more of his own agenda with a very incoherent, not very well backed up uh, case for it. Yeah, you know, and that page 137 was one of the, there were a lot of hot spots for me in terms of areas that I really felt were problematic. 137 is near the top of the list. At the top of the page, this is one of the first times in the entire book, and he he, he and, and like this whole chat, like I said before, the whole the, the chapter is the wrong way around. It's not about me loving God; it's about God loving me, right? I pursue God in a romantic way for a reason, right? For something that makes sense. And what he's got, the only thing he's given us is are these two um, paragraphs. One is. The reason is one of the great motivators of our love and passionate pursuit, reading again from 137, of Jesus is a better understanding of how great his love for us is. Being loved causes us to love. That's the explanation. And then he, then he quotes scripture so that we can make sure we got that explanation, which basically says, here's the scripture quote, we read in 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. Okay, we, we got that part. And then, What's the explanation for how that all works? How Jesus loving us makes us love him? And then that's the part you read. The craziest come after story of all is when God put on flesh, came to earth, and died in our place. When we realize the extravagance of his love, it begins to change our hearts. We love him because he first loved us. And, you know, honestly, what I get out of that, I'm indebted. I might be indebted if I believe that. I don't know if that's going to provoke love in me. You know, in yes. the examples we see of love. A romantic see, love. Like, is romantic <laughs> love an obligation or, like, prompted by... I don't... No, I don't think so. I, I think I think that's that's something that, that, that gets put on in a way because people think they've got to do it. You know, I'm supposed to feel this way and so I will. So I'll act this way or so I'll tell myself that that's what I've got or I'll kind of make this thing work. And he makes it work with all these, you know... Uh, extravagantly dysfunctional methods of, you know, I love Jesus so much that I hate everybody else by comparison. Well, you know, no, that's not how love works. When you get uh, a a child comes into the family, you don't have to divide your love. You don't have to take less love from your spouse because you've got to give it to your your child because there's only so much love to go around. Well, no, that's not how it works. Right? So his notion of love is off. His notion of why we're pursuing God, like what that's about. For me, there is this kind of element of it being romantic. I wouldn't say romantic. I don't think that's the right word. I think it's passionate. I think it's deeply, deeply involved. It's self-involving, and it's 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 deeply intimate. 
And um, maybe maybe I'm adding the romantic notion to it. I think maybe you you are more accurate there. Well, he no, he does talk about. He says pursuing romantic level causes to do crazy things, and then he talks about how he did crazy things before he was married and pursuing his wife. So I yeah. guess there is that element there. But yes, I would agree that he is talking more about passion. So continue. Well, well I know. I, I think he's put a lot of romance in there. I think he hasn't been clear on that part. But if it were me, yes, it would be more about passion. And all I get, you know, it's just extraordinary. The note I wrote about the two two very small sentences I read are, this is all the space that the reason for passionately pursuing Jesus gets. And this is all the space that its explanation gets. We've got two little tiny paragraphs of about four sentences in total. And that's all we get. And that, for me, is really, really, really problematic. Um, and as I said, Jesus dying on the cross, it, it, first of all, you've got to believe that. Even Second of all, if you believe it, what, what's the response? You know, you, you feel gratitude, etc. But, but it, it's not something that's compelling, passionate love. Right? It may be, I may feel indebted. I may feel grateful. But he's, he, I think the problem is the chapter doesn't make sense because he, as he's rightly noted at one part in the chapter, love cannot be commanded. He's dead right on that one. He goes <laughs> nowhere with it. Love must be elicited. It must be drawn forth. You know, and it's legitimate because on the one hand, it's not something that's, that's extorted or extracted from us. On the other hand, it's legitimate because it's so much larger than we are and it grabs us. Right? It's not something that's necessarily in our control. I think we're right when we talk about falling in love and being in love in the sense of it's larger than me. Um, so when he makes the, 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 the problem I find with this whole chapter, and this chapter is, uh, it's like putting a magnifying glass on the problem I've found with the whole book. The whole thing does not make sense because the reason for being in this sort of state of relationship with Jesus or God, the reason for feeling as we do, for acting as we do, we we, are, we, we he, he says we should. Uh, the reason for the orientation of follower is never given in a way that anybody can grab hold of. I haven't. Yeah, I can't find it. And I I think the honest truth is he doesn't have it. You know, he's 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 putting all this stuff out about you know you have to make room for the Holy Spirit by being less of you. You know, it's about being self-effacing, and then you have to. Uh, Loving God, you have to love God so much that by comparison you hate everybody else. Like, he's got these really backwards ideas of what love is about, of what being in a relationship is about, and, and my experience of God is exactly the opposite. When I am in the place of feeling deeply loved of God, when I am in the place of understanding that, and I am in the place of living in that, which for me means being enjoined, being participatory in the projects that I sincerely believe that God wants me to be active and, and, and uh, you know, working within and towards. My ability to, to respond to people appropriately, to be loving, to be patient, to display what we might call in Christian terms the fruits of the Spirit, is enormous. Like, I, I boggle my mind 
I'm like, wow, this is you? Woohoo, you're awesome today. And I am. You know, and I don't go I don't I don't do this little silly game of saying, oh no, it's all God. No, it's not all God. It's me being in love, me act and, and being in the truth of that love, and acting towards God in the right way, being in right relationship, and out of that flows something that I am doing. I am making those choices. It's not all about God making them, just like it's not about God forcing me to love God. And he's got so much of this so wrong that it's distressing to me at, at, at a just a... It's so distressing. Um, what's distressing... No, it's, what's, distra what's distressing about it to me is it's so subtle. Like, I've heard this kind of stuff mm. my entire life, especially in college. Um, you know, it just try harder, be all sold out, you know, that's, you know, be a complete freak and, and give it all up because when you do that, you will find God. Mm -hmm. Well, either I didn't give up enough or I did it the wrong way or whatever, but I did, it didn't work. And so I just feel mm -hmm. like this, I feel like this message is so unhelpful. Like it's not helping anyone. This is not... This is not life-giving. This is not... The book was given to me so that I might get to the next level, but... <sighs> well, hold on, though. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to... Yeah, yeah, do it. I'm gonna, I, I've got some liquid in my hand. You just lit a fire. <laughs> I've got some liquid in my hand, and you're thinking it's water, but actually it's gasoline. I'm going to throw that on. How about page 139 at the top? Did you find that helpful? That's where I was going. That's exactly <laughs> no. That's, that's that's exactly where I was going, and it has been suggested to me that there that you know if that if this book does not speak to me, or if I'm not like getting the answers I'm looking for, that there could be sin in my life that that I just haven't dealt with. And that that's really the place I need to start. I need to really start exploring all the sin areas of my life. And I'm not for a second saying I'm without sin, but so, <laughs> but do, 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 the, the, the the contradiction in that is is so glaring to me. So What's that? well, let me let me just say this back to you and to make sure I've got it. So you're saying that if you're not, if I can say it this way, feeling the love. You need to go and look at the sin, potential sin in your life. Is is that? Can I say feeling that? the love or feeling the connection to God or feeling like you know, I have a like, feeling like, feeling like I can really say, yeah, I totally get this notion of having a relationship with God, or yes, He is such an important part of my life and makes such a difference in my life, and as using like the words you would say, so in love with God. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you how I got there. Let me tell you how you can have the same thing. I have no mm -hmm. idea how to tell anyone else that. I have no idea. I could, I could, oh my, I mean, I've been to, you know, 30 units of Bible classes and, and read a bazillion books and I have all the head knowledge <laughs> and I could probably point you in all the right directions and, and pair it back a lot of the right stuff. But, yeah. um, I want something that's real. I want something that's like, worth dying for and yeah. and there are people that say this is and and <laughs> you know i guess i guess i'm just done playing games and and pretending to a certain extent and i'm just kind of laying it all out there right now is where, i mean i have been doing this recently with with uh, other family members and friends and stuff but yeah it's just mm -hmm. like okay this has got to be real it's got to mm -hmm. be real and mm -hmm. 
Well, the, the contradiction that, if, if I can sort of highlight that part or kind of focus on that part, you're saying it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel real, right? It doesn't kind of, you know, to use some words you've used in past, reconcile with your, with your lived reality, with your past experiences. And if we look at what Kyle's saying, He's saying that it, it being real is about you acting like you're in a love relationship, right? So, I mean, this is kind of where I was going with the, with the love thing. But, 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 but love is a, is a huge part of this for the Christian, for the participant, for the person, right? And, and when we're not feeling that, when we're not in that, we're supposed to, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go and look at the sin in our life. So, in other words, we're, 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 we're trying to, we're not able to kind of experience the love. Yeah, it's more effort. It's more of what you have to do. There's something wrong with you. But, yeah, but, but, but we've totally... This is, this, is, this is where I'm coming to. The contradiction is we have switched categories. He wants us to be in this category of being passionate pursuers of God. He's never been clearer, and about this I appreciate, about this I appreciate about the chapter, he has never been clearer about this whole point about love. And romance aside, we'll, we'll, I'll just take him at the very best I can take him. I'll give him the most benefit of the doubt I can. He wants us to be passionately involved with God. I'm, I'm dead on with him. We're, we're tracking. Okay, but then how do you deal with the problem? Well, the, the, you, you, you jump out of the love, right? For me, the whole thing, I mean, my whole... Uh, way of, 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 of presenting Christianity. I mean, there are two registers, love and truth. Truth, God is sovereign. Love, God is parent. If you're not experiencing the, the love thing, you've got to go back and look at the truth thing. Well, maybe, but maybe not. You see, for me, what I'm seeing here, this is a default position. This is a default position within evangelicalism. We are much more comfortable and much more conversant and we live, if you like. We, we focus our energy and understand Christianity in a basic sense as being about truth. It's about truth. And it's about love. It's about both. And they're equal. There's not a hierarchy there. You cannot fix a hierarchy. Once you've done that, you've, you've, you've obliterated God. You have, you have collapsed God into something that is not God. And that's just wrong. And the, it's not just sort of wrong in the sense of, hey, you're doing a bad thing to God. You're destroying the possibility for people to have authentic relationship because you are diminishing that with which we are having a relationship into something that it is not. There's no way that's going to work. And you know what? Can I, can I, yeah. can I jump off of this? Yeah, I'm not okay. sure I totally understood your point there, though. You, okay. Say that, the rest, restate the last part again. The last part I'm saying is that if we, <laughs> if we warp God and say... You know, if we, we, we create this kind of picture of God, and it's a warped picture, and we say, listen, you've got you to gotta work with God this way. Well, uh, of course it's not going to work. Because yes, you've got okay. a warped picture. <laughs> the, it's that's exact, not going to work. Okay, so exact, okay, yes. Okay, you know, so now you're confirming what I was feeling is, yes, I feel like this book is a warped picture of God, and it's very familiar warping. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, no, this, none of this stuff has worked for me. No, exactly. And, and you know what? The, 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 the piece de résistance is the last, you know, typically he ends each chapter with 
a story, a not a fan story. So somebody else telling their story about how they are quote unquote not a fan. Right. And I, I, I thought this was uh, helpful and absolutely tragic all at once. The first line of this not a fan story by this guy's contributor's name is Terry. Terry says, my story is less about me pursuing Jesus and more about how he pursued me. And bells are going off, right? It's like, ding, 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 ding. Okay, you've got the prize here, buddy. You have totally got the prize. Finally, you know, this guy is going to have some redemptive moment. Kyle's going to have a redemptive moment in his book by bringing somebody else's story in. Thank you. Because, no, you're right. And I wrote here, this is the point. Somebody's got it right. But the sad thing is he has to introduce his story that way, almost as though he's apologizing about it. That is a bit sad. But it gets sadder. Because he goes down, and, and I'm going to read this to you, because I think it's really important. At the bottom of page 140, I'm going to read that through to the next number of, maybe the next two sentences. He's talking about being in Louisiana, first of all, during the rebuilding after the hurricane. They were rebuilding a church. He was happy to do it, this Terry person. But Terry did not want to go to the church and be with, quote-unquote, church people. At the end of the rebuilding, he had an opportunity to go. He opted out. He wandered around Louisiana, got a bit lost, came back, but unfortunately came back just at the time they were going to go to church. And so he ended up going. Here's what he says. But when we got there, something about the service, the message, the worship, I don't know what it was, but when the preacher asked people to come down front if they wanted to know Christ, I left my pew and walked down. I got baptized in Lake... Pontchartrain. Like I can't pronounce. Pontchartrain, okay, in New Orleans. And when I came out of the water, I felt like a different person. This, sadly, is the quintessential Kyle Eidelman story of what it means to be pursued by God. It means... I'm not going to take away from this guy's experience. I'm talking about what he's written, not his experience. But in what he's written, it means nothing. No, and I've so, lived this. I've lived this experience. I mean, come, come I, I on. Lived, I know I lived this experience. I lived this experience after college. I was attending a church because you're supposed to go to church, and I was trying to like give it a real go, and so I became a member of the church. And part of becoming a member was becoming baptized. Was getting baptized. And I felt nothing. I felt nothing before the experience. I felt nothing after the experience. But I was betting the farm on the fact that, like, in my obedience, uh-huh. like this, uh, even talking about this just makes me kind of angry. But, but honestly, like, it was like, okay, God, I'm putting it all out here. I'm going to, you know, get baptized. I'm going to profess my faith. And I was like, okay, yeah. maybe this is the missing faith. This is the missing step. I've never been ready to be baptized because I never really felt like I got this. But... I'm going to put my faith and confidence in, well, I thought I was putting it in God. I think I was putting it into the teaching of this church. Uh, and I, I suppose the teaching's in the Bible too. But I got baptized because that was the next step. And that was going to be the, you know, the demonstration of my obedience. And mm-hmm. suddenly I was going to get hit by a lightning bolt or something. I'd feel something. Mm-hmm. But I remember feeling absolutely nothing and just being like, okay, well, I did that. Um Okay, well, um, I, okay, like, I, I don't even, I guess words is, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss for words to, to even, I don't remember now, it was probably 15 years ago. Yeah, and uh, you've had the experience, you went through it, you felt nothing. This guy, this Terry guy, felt a lot, but, but the point, the point that I'm making, though, is, 
He doesn't give me anything. When we got there, and this is the part, something about the service, the message, the worship, I don't know what it was. What, like, what is that telling me? You go to church, and if it works for you, it works for you. And you know what that, you know what he cited earlier in the book on page 134? He says there was a satirical magazine called The Door, and it suggests that unmarried couples living together should share the following vows. The last line of the vow, I commit to live with you as long as this works out. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that this guy... What's the same? Come on, this guy, he goes into church, something about the service. I don't know what the worship, about the worship. I don't know what it was. I've got no clue what's going on. doesn't really matter, or not not that it doesn't really matter, but I I can't give you anything about, like, what's, what's, what's really going on there. And he's saying exactly the same thing here. I commit to live with you as long as this works out. I'm not. This this doesn't really mean very much, right? What it means, I don't know. There are other parts of this I could quote too. Um, See, I would have taken. I would have taken that there was something about the service, whatever. I would have taken that as, oh, you know, God was pursuing him in some way that he just can't quite put into words. And um, but it's got to be like if you can't put it into words. If you can't put it into words more than, you know, he could at least say, uh, you know, the, the service was really meaningful, it connected with things in my past, it made me think about this or that, I felt love, you know, even if he's being very vague. But the, the problem is, this is exactly, we're getting the example, the, the fleshed out example. At the end of each chapter, he gives a fleshed out example that's supposed to crystallize our understanding of what he said during the chapter. And this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect, because what he said in the chapter gives us no content, and what we've got here gives us no content. Zero. Something about the service, the message, the worship. I don't know what it was. You know, John, honest to God, honest to God, if somebody was to say to me, you should be a Christian, and I was to say, why? Well, I went to church, and there was something about the service, the message, the pastor, the preaching. I don't know what it was. Like, what type of idiot, pardon me, but what type of idiot would base their life on something like that. I and mean, then I'm not saying that this guy doesn't no, have any content. No, they would invite him to church. They would say, come to church and you'll experience the same thing. Yeah. Do you think that's going to work? How well, I mean, work? based on the churches I've been to recently, I wouldn't invite anyone to any of them. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not the right person to ask. Um, based on the people that I know that don't go to church, that type of uh, uh, a sales pitch is not going to get any of them in the door. There's there's no way. So see, this is know, interesting. But if you read the end of the story, it says, "I'm so thankful." So Jesus decided to use a rebuilding project to get my attention. I'm so thankful he wasn't just interested in rebuilding New Orleans. He wanted to rebuild me too. He pursued me. Now I am passionately pursuing Jesus as I follow him. My name is Terry, and I'm not a fan. But again, the whole but the, but what's ironic is if. Like you're saying, if this story is to cap the chapter off, the chapter is the chapter is all about what we have to do, not about what God does. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can't. Yeah. It's it's so frustrating because because he's he, we're playing smoke and mirror games. We're saying we're not playing them, and then we're expecting everybody else out there to engage in the smoke and mirror games, not call us on the fact that we're playing them, and to, and to buy into them. And it just seems to me like we're asking everybody out there to be idiots. 
I mean, I know that's harsh, but I, I can think of I can think of no non-Christian friend I have, and I have a lot of them. Most of my friends aren't Christians. That is going that would be in any way interested in hearing anything about any of this to do with God on the basis of what Kyle has written. And this chapter, I think, is the most is the the worst violator or worst offender of all his chapters in terms of presenting something that's incoherent um, and and that seems to be completely backwards in terms of its orientation. I just yeah, and I, I guess I just keep wondering: is this is this for is this book not for someone that isn't a Christian? It's really targeted at someone that is a Christian, but I don't, you know, but isn't a Christian, isn't Christian enough. Cause you know, he talks on the top of one thirty-eight. I don't know how you say this word. It's a uh, acedia. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. He, he says either. a better way, but he's basically talking about spiritual apathy and mm-hmm. you reach a point where you can say, I, I don't care. God loves you and send his son to die on the cross to forgive your sins. And you shrug your shoulders. That's acedia if I'm saying it right, and it's an epidemic among fans. So the passion is gone. There's no pursuit. Maybe there was a time when you followed Jesus that way, but at some point you lost interest. And so for me, I would say, well, I don't know that I ever followed Jesus that way. And and I would tie this into his earlier notion that, yeah, on the bottom of one 32. Followers should have some come after Jesus stories that make people say, that's crazy. Many fans didn't grow up thinking about the relationship to Jesus in those terms. Following him was more of a casual weekend thing. And then, uh, I don't know, it's this whole notion that if that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have crazy stories. To which I say, I'm not a very crazy person. Like, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty low key. I'm pretty much fly under the radar. So, so I have to do something just completely wacky and out of character to show that I'm a follower. Like, but now, and yeah, maybe yeah. if I am, a, maybe if I was a follower, and maybe if I was fully in love with God, I would do crazy stuff. But uh, there's too much shooting here. There's too much. It's supposed to be this way, <laughs> and he gets to decide. And since yeah. his since his supporting his since he can't back any of this up, I just it 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 just causes me to say, well, yep, here's another book, you know, with lots of stuff you should be doing, and based on his pet topics, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm still right where I am. Now, granted, our conversations have helped me like untangle a lot of this, and I'm totally grateful for that. So, I guess that's one benefit that has come from this book. Yeah, and and I th- I think he's he's got some very you know narrow uh, these are narrow categories of what a follower is and what a fan is, and uh, I think on one of the one of the pages I was kind of writing about that yeah a fan so a fan is a nominal Christian, but I don't think he would say that no it's not just a nominal Christian, but you know I, I guess too he his his definitions are like. On the one hand, they seem very narrow. On the other hand, he he really hasn't taken time to flush them out very well. So when he's talking about something crazy, you know, um, maybe, you know, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I remember some of the discussions we had when you were thinking about marrying Tommy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, you and her would have a date or whatever, and it would be kind of a discussion or what have you. And and I wonder if that's part of... If you marrying Tommy is within the realm of the crazy things that you have done that have some kind of relationship, some sort of tie-in, maybe, I should say, to your relationship with God. I don't know. I throw that out there. Or having a child. You know, I don't... I don't I, in other words... What is this? In other words, what is things, crazy? That have, things that have stretched me outside of what I would normally do. Yeah, that God's had a role in that. God's been involved in that. That that there's been a sense of I, I don't know whether it's growth in terms of certain you know virtues that are that are deeply involved with the Christian faith. I mean, I, I think like virtues like faith, particularly. <laughs> <laughs> those are. That's that's kind of a, you know in my own marriage and, and and some of the things I've done. I mean, that's really kind of been pushed, been worked, been developed in some senses, been strained to the breaking point sometimes. And I think sometimes that some of that stuff is is crazy stuff. And I think that for me at least, there's a tie in with my faith. You know, it's not like I it's not like I quote-unquote, give it all over to God, and God just kind of does it for me, or, 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 you know, I just say, oh, you know, I couldn't, I did nothing here, it was all you, God, but I don't think it's, like, completely divorced, I don't, and I don't think it has to be sort of like, uh, I, I, know, I don't know, I, I, I spray-painted this um, abortion clinic for God, like crazy, you know, I, I got arrested for doing... You did? Stupid stuff, no... <laughs> Like, no. wow, I haven't heard that story before. <laughs> no, sorry. I wish I could tell you a. But I mean, I, I do have some. I do have some crazy stories, but but they they involve you know spending years of my life trying to figure out who God is and spending oodles and oodles and oodles of money and doing stuff that I think you know at certain points I still say to myself, man, that was really dumb of you. You could have had a nice house, you could have had a nice car, you could have had a nice career, and instead you don't have any of those things. But I spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money trying to figure some stuff out. And, you know, for me, I would say, ultimately, yeah, I, I have figured some of that stuff out. I'm pretty comfortable and pretty confident. And, you know, nine days out of ten, I wouldn't trade it. But I still think it was pretty crazy. I, th I still think, I st still do have that one out of ten day where I'm like, you know, I don't want to tell this story because I feel like an idiot. As opposed to some sort of, you know, in Kyle's terms, maybe follower. So what do you make of his notion of the the pearl of great price? If you're, if, yeah. I'm not trying to change the subject, I would just, that was kind of next on my little list here. Yep. Were you ready to, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm right there. Okay. I'm right there with you. I guess to your question... I think you're on to something there with your question to me about that. I don't want to give that some more thought. Okay. So over to the Pearl of Great Price from page 133. This something smelled stinky here to me, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So 133, Jesus wants us to understand that following him is a pursuit that requires everything we have. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 called the Pearl of Great Price. It gives us a picture of what Jesus had in mind when he invited us to come after him. 
Then he's reading from Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had and bought the field. And so then I'm kind of moving on to page 135. And this is the part that didn't make any sense to me. In the parable of the, of the pearl of great price, the man sold everything he had to get the treasure. But once he had the treasure, did you notice his response? Then in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and bought the field. Sacrificing everything he had for the treasure brought him great joy because he knew it was worth it. That last sentence just... That wasn't sacrifice. It was like an investment. He knew exactly what was in that field. He didn't sacrifice anything. Yep. He yep. he knew there was a gold mine in that field, so he like sold all his... There's yep, those... Exactly. Okay. So... And that, that, that ties in completely with that whole thing of you may feel indebted, but are you going to feel in love? It's it's an exchange, right? He's got us. He's got us kind of. Jesus did this for you. Oh, okay. Like it's quid 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 pro quo. Jesus did this for you, so you should do this for Jesus. Okay, that ain't love. That is not love. That's a business arrangement. Just like this guy buying this thing. Yeah, it's not, and it's not sacrifice. I just feel like we nope. just kind of put sacri- He put sacrifice in there because that's one of his pet topics. Yeah. No, that's really good. That's a really good point, John. Yeah, with the pearl, I, I, it's the same thing again. You know, Jesus wants us to understand that following him is a pursuit that requires everything we have. But why? Why is it worth it? How does that work? And then later, down in between the two quotes you read, uh, at the bottom of page 133, when we discover the life that we can have in Jesus, we are to come after him like this man pursued the pearl of great price. And on this point about the life that we can have in Jesus... I, again, it's my, what is my, it? my questions were, what is that? What does that mean? Why? If this is so crucial, has he given it no content? You know, why am I doing that? What, why, what's, what's the point? You know, and again, I think it comes back to page 21 for him, right? It's heaven or hell. It's, it's glorified fire insurance. The, 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 the telling thing to me is that the entire um, content... Nearly the entire content of the Synoptic Gospels, of, of all the Gospels, we can, we can put John in there too, is about people who have experiences with God. People who, you know, in certain, certain situations, who, have, who are followers in, in the best sense of the word. Um, they're that before Jesus dies. They're that before they understand, right? And they do, they, like what we read last... Uh, uh, we were talking about uh, last podcast too about Peter saying, you know, you, you're not going down to Jerusalem to get killed, and, and Jesus is so emphatic and forceful that he says, you know, get get behind me, Satan! Like, don't 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 put that political agenda in front of me. That you are you are you are wrong. That is not the priority, right? But they don't get it. They they have they they can't figure out the 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 the, the crucifixion and Jesus' death until after he's dead. But they love him beforehand. Why is that? Hmm. You know, this is the this is this is pivotal, pivotal, and and all he can see is a cross. There's a hell of a lot more going on than a cross. So you know, it's it's about they're seeing Jesus is feeding people, Jesus is healing people, Jesus is loving people, and them. And when you experience those things in your life, that is what makes it meaningful. That is what suddenly says, here's what this guy thinks of me. 
Not that he died for me, but he's alive. And he wants me to live fully and, as, as, as the, the, the text says, abundantly. And it is through the experience of that that I understand the degree to which I am loved. It's not just some act that took place. You see, when we make it into the crucifixion, Christianity becomes a historical religion. It becomes a religion fixed in the past where we have to somehow grapple with, accept, and change our lives on the basis of a past event that is supposed to be so monumental that everything changes. Well, the reality is we're dealing with God here. And God is ahistorical. The Christian God is portrayed as in some sense being omnitemporal through all time. So why isn't he right now? Well, the reality is he is. But we don't focus on that. And that is one of the greatest tragedies in Christianity that, 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 that I, it's terribly upsetting to me. And, and it's, it's the reality, in other words, of the, of the entire Gospels. Nearly the entire Gospels talk about Jesus' life before the crucifixion and resurrection. People have fallen in love. They have, to a certain extent, if they've understood nothing else, they've understood Depending upon who they are, some of the you know religious leaders would, would would have a different response. But the people that are with him can't get enough of him. And whether they can't get enough food or they can't get it, you know, whether they've got it right, they've got it right enough to know that this guy is special and that this guy has an orientation towards them that is magnetic. And that's what it's about. That's where the passion starts. And then, you know, we can build understanding. We can, we can build on all of that. But if you haven't got that, you know, if you're still trying to reach back into the past 2,000 years and somehow lay hold of the significance of Jesus' death as the cornerstone and full content of your Christianity, pardon me, you're screwed. Well, I think the notion is that you should just be a follower because it's the right thing to do and because he says so. And because and, is, and because there are these scriptures that kind of point out that you should too. But why do I believe them? Why would I believe that they're they're anything more than ancient writings? You know, we're not we're not kind of nobody's sitting here weighing up the writings of the pharaohs, the Babylonians, or any of the you know, or even the, the more modern religions. We're not kind of making comparisons with uh, Islam and Buddhism. Why, why are we focusing on this? Is this just a sociological phenomenon? Is it because we've been born in North America and we can't get over the fact that, that this stuff has been like the water we swim in as fish? You know, we don't have to swim in this water anymore. We are in a time uh, in history when these options are, are available to everybody. Why on earth are we blaming other people who choose other options? I don't think we've got any good reasons. Unless we've got something that's, that's, that's deeply compelling to us that we are able, on the one hand, to live out, on the other hand, to explain. To embody as a practice and as a way of being and to give words to so that we can make, create a, a sense of what it is we're doing and why. Yeah, that's we interesting. We don't have those two things. No, it's interesting what you said, live out and explain and... So often it's been suggested to me that you just need to start living out, and then you'll understand. Then you'll be able to explain it later. Ah, uh, 
uh, you see that? And that's getting into, there's, there's some very long and um, staunch thinking, theological thinking around that, you know, about um, faith-seeking understanding. You can't possibly understand until you have faith. Faith is the, the initial disposition of human beings. Like, look at babies. They have faith, right? No, they don't. They don't. Um, what takes place in the uterus, uh, neonatal psychology, neonatal behavioral studies, uh, there's nearly consensus on the idea that uh, neonates, so, you know, it's before they're born, they have a... the uh, olfactory senses, senses is, is, is really, is really uh, high, it's really powerful. So babies can smell their mothers. So it's not a question of, you know, I'll just have, you know, I don't have any choice in the matter here. I've been pulled out of the womb and I'm going to, you know, suckle at, at this breast because that's where I've been put. Babies can identify their mother. They have not, they have, if not knowledge, they have some sort of pre-understanding, however you want to put it. It's not this faith disposition. And it's the same thing with this idea, right, of, uh, you know, you just have to have faith first and then you'll understand. No, no, no. I already understand a lot from my world. You understand, you understand things about love long before you come to God because you've been in a family where you either have or have not experienced love. Hmm. These things play in, in a huge way. And when we don't accept that, it, it's just like, um, just like Kyle's comments about his, his, his fiance. And, and I thought this was absolutely crazy. Um, when he's talking about how he loves his wife or his fiance, and he does a whole bunch of things for his fiance. And then he's talking about, he makes the transition into doing this for God. And I wrote down, you know, but there's initial content to the spousal relationship. So, you know, I can feel that way or respond that way towards my spouse because I have built up a relationship with this person over time. What's the, what's the you know, he's just assuming we kind of jump into it with God. And, and that's all okay. Well, no, it's not okay. You don't do that in any other part of your life. Well, and then in early... You share your bank book with a guy on the street, would you? Like, here's my credit card. I love you so much. But elsewhere in the chapters and in the book, he's so careful to make sure people know what they're signing up for. Yeah. <laughs> it's even in this chapter, isn't it? On page 136, pursuing Jesus is your choice, and Jesus wants to make sure it's clear what you're agreeing to if you respond to his invitation. He will settle for nothing less than to be the great love and pursuit of your life. Yeah, good point. And yet, and yet, we're supposed to somehow jump into this without, you know, any foundation. And the only thing we need is to know that Jesus died for us, or or to believe that. Pardon me. To be told and believe that, and, and that's somehow going to make it all okay. Well, and see the way it's the way I've seen that presented is not so much there, but to get. So that's that's kind of the closer, but the the kind of the hmm. the intro or the media the middle is um, realizing how sinful you are and that you need something be beyond yourself, which I mm -hmm. think would tie in really nicely with. I can't remember the details, but you told me about a lunch that you were at Labrie, where someone started the conversation. How was it? Very sarcastically with, tell me why. Jesus came to die for my sins. Is that yeah, yeah. I think that you know we there's sort of a formal meal. There's a question, and the person threw out a question that 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 was I think so generic, so large, 
And really, the idea behind the question was, I don't really want to talk about anything, so why don't we talk about something uh, that, that I've, some, some drivel almost, that I've heard all my life in Christian circles, which is, why don't we talk about how Jesus came to die for our sins? And what was and, the response? This, is, this was the uh, kicker, I thought. I wasn't I there, but you told me that. I went, I was there, yeah, it was great. Because, you know, I mean, I'm, it's the beginning of term, nobody really, a lot of new people. And uh, and everybody's got their head down thinking, oh, gee, this is going to be stupid and boring. And uh, Greg says, I don't think Jesus came to die for our sins. Did anyone get up and leave? <laughs> you know, it's funny how silence, you know, the Inuit, they say the Inuit have, I don't know, 20 to 40 different words for snow. And in this case, there was silence after the person posed the question and before Greg spoke. And there was silence after Greg spoke. Greg was the facilitator. But the silences were different. You could feel <laughs> the tension and the, the, the incredible anxiety in the air. And the silence, the first one was the silence of just kind of a low-level, oh boy, head down, quietly munching. You know, the, the second was no one chewing, no one moving, everyone except for me. <laughs> um, there might have been one or two other people that were not new. Worried. And of course, you know, Greg brought this back exactly, exactly where, where one would, which is, uh, you know, how, how do the Gospels begin? What does Jesus say? When G if Jesus tells you what he's here for, you've got to take him at his word. What does he say? He's come to inaugurate the kingdom of God. It's not about saving us from our sins. It's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes me. It includes renewing of relationship, getting over the problem of sin that is the problem of the breaking of the covenant that the Israelites had. Where do we get this and whole notion then that Jesus came to die for our sins? Well, he did. I mean, that's part of what happened. But that's not the whole, that's not that's not the framework in which we need to understand it. I mean, Paul talks about Jesus dying for sins a lot, but Paul's also always, always, always talking about covenant, always talking about uh, this this kind of apocalyptic vision too, like this, which is not like everything blowing up, but which is like like an end times, a, a change, and a newness, and we're within all of this. This is all subsumed under this new notion of the kingdom of God. So wait, I'm, maybe I'm losing track of this. So so Greg said Jesus didn't come to die for our sins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I thought you just said, no, he actually did. Uh, I, I think he came to die for our sins under the umbrella of came, coming to inaugurate the kingdom of God. Inaugurating the kingdom of God includes renewing is is about renewing relationship between God and all things. It is God throwing God's arms around, God possessing, God God claiming, God saying, "This is mine." In a not simply a, 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 a with the the voice and the emphasis of a sovereign, but with the the love and the care of a father and a creator. It is both of those things. Okay, so he's it, he's dialing into the notion that it wasn't only and all about sin. It was about many things. It was about many things. It wasn't primarily about sin, 
Because it's not primarily about you and me. It's about God. It's about God. God loves us deeply. We are, we are involved. We are part of this. But the kingdom is not mine. It did not originate with me. And it is not about me. I am in it because God loves me. Because God chooses to include me. And God does not choose to exclude anyone. I am I'm staunchly of that view. God chooses to exclude no one. But people can, ex people can opt out, whether knowingly or not, or maybe more knowingly and less knowingly. I think there's always some form of knowing. I, that's, a, that's, that's a tricky one, which I don't want to go down. But, um, yeah, it's, it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about me. I'm included. And, you know, frankly, that's an, <laughs> that's another, that's another question we might want to put to Kyle on a, on a calmer day. <laughs> you know, wondering about the kingdom of God and all this. I mean, when Jesus comes, he, he doesn't tell me that he's here to save my soul. He doesn't hear, doesn't tell me he's here to, to keep me from going to hell. Or, or, or either to, to, to bring me along with him to heaven. He prefaces everything in each one of the Gospels. It's always the same. It's about the kingdom of God. So we're going to take him at his word, right? So what do we do with that? You know? And I think that if that emphasis was to... That orientation was to impact Kyle's book, I wonder what the change in emphasis would be. I think that would be a helpful thing. I think it's, it's so... Me-centric, you-centric, us-centric. You know, ironically, he wants to make this God-centric, but I don't think he's achieved that. And again, I think this is one of the confusions that the book suffers from. And as a result, we have this... You know, as we've often talked about, he, 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 wants, to, he wants to kind of free us from these rules, and yet we get, we're always back being uh, kind of encompassed by and embroiled in rules. You know, and I think I think he's the book is suffering from contradictions because there are key notions that either he has omitted or that he has not understood. Or he's in some cases like this idea of loving Jesus so much you hate everybody else and you know, uh, allowing God to come into your life means you have to sort of you have to back away into a corner. That's perversion. I th I guess I want to go back to Greg's whole thing. So so the question is mm. tell us why Jesus came to die for our sins. Greg's saying he didn't, but it's, it's almost, I don't know, it almost sounds like he's kind of being dramatic because on one level he would agree that Jesus died for our sins. Ah, but that's the difference. Did you see the difference no, when you said that? No, I don't. <laughs> Jesus came to die for our sins versus Jesus died for our sins. Jesus didn't come to die for our sins. Oh, in other he words, came. in other words, his his in other words, the sole motivation for Jesus coming was to die for our Precisely. sins. He would disagree with Precisely. and say that is false. Precisely, but he that would is, say false. no. Jesus died for our sins. Exactly. So it's the whole Je it's the whole orientation around why he came. I, he might not even say Jesus died for our sins. He would say that included in the effects of Jesus' death. Jesus, like in other words, when Jesus, uh, my understanding theologically, the understanding that I would hold to theologically, is that Jesus' death was necessary for the fulfillment of the covenant. Out of that fulfillment, all things were renewed 
in their relationship with God. The earth, the uh, so the physical world, uh, all beings, all entities. You know, and I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's I'm, I'm ass- I, I kind of assume, and that's a good question. Maybe that it's from that point forward. I don't assume that it has uh, a, a, an effect backwards, but maybe it does. And I'm open to kind of thinking about that. But but yeah, it's the sole purpose idea. The sole purpose was not. And when we when we mess that one up, we mess up a lot. You know, we because because then we can we can drop out the covenant. We can drop out like expectations about uh, what what oh so, so the other thing the other thing that happens there is is that Jesus' death has an effect not only on the, the physical world and on the people the, the the beings you and me but it has an effect on the spiritual realm. There is a conquest over uh, the adversary, if you like. The spiritual adversary. And that's huge. And that's, again, that's all part of the kind of Hebrew way of, of seeing the world and the Hebrew scriptures. And, you know, we've got to take those really seriously because the, the, that, that is God revealing God's self and saying, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to do with you, the Israelite people, and, and here, here are the good things that can happen. You know, uh, eventually all the, all the people of the world will be blessed through you. And, and, and I'm going to change the world uh, if it works out. And if it doesn't work out, though, here, here are the things that are... Here, here are the bad parts of what, what, what could happen. So, yeah, we miss out on so, 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 so much. And, and again, I think we've got, this, we've got this boiled down on page 21 of Not a Fan to the, exactly the same thing. It's about, the, the number one question is about what, you know, for you, where, where you're going to live. You know, where you're going to, what's going to be the result of your time on earth? Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? Well, how about we talk a little bit more about my time on earth? You know, how about instead of jumping to some distant scenario that's not even spelled out too well, you know, uh, I, I'm assuming he's got some sort of classic view of hell uh, where people are tormented forever. And see, what I heard growing up was, you know, this earth is not our home. I'm just passing through. It's a long passing through. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh... But that's why heaven was going to be so great. Yeah, but this is the part with people, with Christians who are down on environmentalism. God is not creating a new world. God is renewing this world. The new heaven and the new earth are the renewed. So, so Judaism is huge on this. We are not abolishing everything. We are not saying, you know, back to the drawing board, let's go for round two. We're still with round one. We're with the original project, the original model. And we are working. God is writing that in the sense of making it right, like writing a ship. God is making it come right. That's the deal. And so environmentalism is huge, you know, because that's God's project. God's God's involved, deeply involved in that. God God cares deeply about that. You know, and you can't just say, "Oh, it's the same thing as saying, 
Oh yeah, God's God's interested in uh, you know me not sinning, but 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 look at what Jesus has done. Jesus has kind of covered all the sins, so I can sin as much as I like. That's not a big deal. Well, uh, that's yeah, that's misses the, same the point. Thing. Well, precisely. And so when you say oh, it doesn't really matter, God's going to remake the earth, I can pollute as much as I want. That that's totally not the point, man. Like you are totally not engaged with God in the way that you should be, in the way that God wants you to be. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 22. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>